where we are indeed continuing our series called Stacking Wood, which we are doing along with the kids. Uh, we are doing it this term to sort of kick things all off together and the kids will carry it on for the rest of the year. And this week we are putting one more piece of wood, one more piece of God's truth into our lives that God, with his blessing, uh, would be pleased to set it alight with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that we might indeed live as his children, as his people, for his glory. And last week we looked at the question, what is God? This week we asked the question, how many persons there are in God? Which is really the question of who is God? And our answer is a little longer than the kids' answer, but please read it with me here. There are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. I said with the, the kids this morning that the Trinity, which is what we're looking at, is a big, big idea in the Bible. And it is a big, big idea for us. I tell you what, it's sort of imposing to preach on, I've got to be honest. Uh, let's pray together quickly. Our Holy Spirit, as we are together in this time, we, we intentionally look to you, asking for your help as we consider God, our creator. We consider Jesus, our savior, and we look to you, Holy Spirit, our helper and guide. Help us, guide us now. Uh, may I say nothing untrue. Instead, may you help us to behold our God, our savior, to behold you and indeed live as your people for your glory, I pray. Amen. Yes, we're talking about the Trinity, which is almost certainly, well, no, it is definitely one of the most difficult Christian doctrines, if not actually the most difficult Christian doctrine there is. Kevin DeYoung jokes that the Trinity is a bit like a, a difficult maths problem that we'd rather ignore than have to deal with. Uh, how is it that Christians can claim to have a true iron God, one God in three persons? I mean, that's a maths problem, uh, and it's hard to explain. And we definitely don't have three gods. We're very, very clear about that. But how do we have one God in three persons? And so often, it is tempting to avoid answering it. And yet, if we avoid the Trinity, we miss out on who God is, who he really is. And we will miss out on a great truth for us. Uh, Harold Linzel put the tension we are in well when he said, the mind of man, and I think he was speaking personally here from personal experience, the mind of man cannot fully understand the mystery of the Trinity. He who has tried to understand the mystery fully will lose his mind. But he who would deny the Trinity will lose his soul. So lose your mind or lose your soul. Doesn't seem like great options, does it? But there is a place in between those two options, and that is actually what Harold is calling us to. He's really saying, look, if you want to come to the Trinity to God and say, God, I'm, I'm going to understand you fully, God. Uh, no, you will lose your mind trying to do that, trying to, to hold on to God, to contain God. But if you completely, de if you deny the Trinity, uh, then you will be denying the one who indeed saves us. 
So Harold is trying to encourage you. I don't know if you were encouraged by that quote, but he's trying to encourage us. Press into God, but don't think, oh, great, I'm going to walk out of church today and have the Trinity sorted. Easy peasy. Uh, no, you won't. I'm not even aiming to do that. All right. And you know what? There are other examples of sort of this tension within the Bible. Uh, you know, when Moses meets God, he meets this burning bush that is not consumed. And we're like, what? <laughs> and yet, that's it. A burning bush that was not consumed. And here he was meeting God. Uh, when we meet Jesus, we meet the God-man, who is both fully man and fully God. And how do we explain that? With some difficulty, truth be told. How can we be wicked people, sinful people, and yet decreed righteous and holy by God? Hmm. There's a few challenging things within the Christian faith. And so with the scene set today, I want to look firstly at why we believe in the Trinity, really why is it necessary, and then secondly, why the Trinity is great. Well, it's actually a really, really good thing to press into, why in fact it's even exciting for us in our faith. And so why believe in the Trinity? And we, well, the short answer would be because we see it in the Bible again and again and again and again and again. We can't actually ignore it or avoid it. Now, even though the word Trinity is not used in the Bible, as actually many words aren't used in the Bible, uh, we see this relationship within God, Father, Son, and Spirit, played out again and again and again. And so last week we considered these verses from the very start of the Bible which speak of creation. Genesis 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Here we see both God, God the Father, introduced along with God the Holy Spirit, all in the first three verses. But verse 3 also has God speaking light into being, sort of this first act of creation. And when John, the disciple, starts his gospel, his testimony about Jesus, he makes a connection directly back to these three verses from the start of the Bible to tell us something about Jesus. He's trying to introduce Jesus there, here, and he says, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John is introducing us to Jesus as the word of God, who was with God, with God, but was also God as well. He was involved in creation here, like the Holy Spirit, who was hovering there in Genesis 1. So we have the Father speaking, we have the Holy Spirit hovering, and we have Jesus, the Word, going forth and creating. And we have to do something with this. Like we have to hold on to these. And we have to see what God is telling us about himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. And we see this relationship with Jesus' baptism, as I mentioned with the kids 
Uh, there with them, I mentioned Mark's version, but Matthew's record echoes it exactly as well. Matthew 3 verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. So here Jesus is present, getting baptized at the start of his ministry. Significant, this is happening at the start of his ministry. Uh, The Holy Spirit descends upon him and God the Father, the voice from heaven speaks over him. Father, Son, and Spirit. But I need to mention one more part here which will be important for later. And it is what God says over Jesus. He identifies him as his son whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. Remember this line. This points to the difference, though. This, this Jesus' baptism points to the difference uh, here of the people of the Trinity. But it also points to the relationship between them, between Father, Son, and Spirit. The relationship is one of love. It's one of love. And it is presumably because of this love that the Father sends the Spirit to alight upon Jesus and to be with him as he starts his ministry. So again, we see separate people, Father, Son, and Spirit, but they are also united. And if we have the understanding that all of creation, all of the universe was brought into being through God the Father, speaking through Jesus the Son, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, as John identified for us, then we should be excited by Jesus' baptism. If we have this image from John, like the start of John's gospel, of Jesus being there with God at the start of creation when God spoke, said, let there be light. And John's making that connection. Everything came into being through Jesus. There was nothing that has come into being that did not come into being through him. If we have that that image that Father, Son, and Spirit were there at the beginning of creation, And then we come to Jesus' baptism, the start of his ministry. And here is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes down and essentially hovers on him. And God speaks over him, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Shouldn't we be a little excited about what might happen next? All of the people of the Trinity, the Godhead coming together. What might happen? What might happen here? If the last time the whole universe came into being, what might happen this time? What might be created? And look, we could look at lots of other passages from the Bible that mention this relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Honestly, it would probably get a little overwhelming because it just sort of one after another after another, and you start to lose them all. But we need to rem- remember the, the examples of this relationship as well, that Jesus prayed to God. <laughs> of course he did. He talked with his heavenly Father. Jesus talked about sending the Holy Spirit, that when he went, another would come after him, our helper and guide to continue his work. And of course, probably one of the best examples is Jesus commanding in the Great Commission that we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Many, many more examples like that as well. And so with all of these, 
we believe in the Trinity, this true iron Godhead, because we can't avoid it. This is what we see in the Bible. We see it there again and again, and this is how God reveals himself to us. And for all the struggles we might have in trying to get our heads around these three persons in one, it's also how we experience God in our lives, that we we have a heavenly father, a maker. We have a brother, Jesus, who is both Lord and Savior. And we have the spirit in our own lives, as our helper and guide, as our advocate as well. Which leads to why the Trinity is great, why it is worth our time and attention um, other than being true, why with all of the challenges of understanding it and the mystery that still remains, we shouldn't just ignore it. But in fact, I want to encourage you to press into it, to lean into it. And here I want to strongly suggest that the Trinity is the relationship that saves us and that we are saved for. The relationship that saves us and that we are saved for. It is the relationship that created us originally and it is the relationship that has saved us and is saving us now. That the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit, just as they were all involved in the creation of the world, so they were all involved in a new creation on the cross of Jesus and in our lives. And I want to suggest that Jesus' baptism and the descent of the Spirit and God's declaration of love over him is the basis for God's saving work on the cross as well as the basis of the relationship uh, that we are saved for that just as God declared that over Jesus, this is my, my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. God wants that relationship with us. God wants to include us in that relationship. And this is why I believe John, the disciple, makes that connection for us between Jesus and creation, that God spoke once and, the uni- uh, and created the universe through Jesus. And now God has spoken a second time and brought about a new creation or recreation as Jesus saves us from our sin. And you know, John, the, the apostle, the disciple uh, who wrote, funny enough, the Gospel of John, most people believe, uh, he identifies himself in the Gospel of John as, he doesn't write me, John, he writes, he identifies himself as the one whom Jesus loved because it was so significant. He recognized, oh, Jesus has loved me. He recognized God has loved me in Jesus. And this is why in the New Testament, Jesus is identified as the last Adam. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five. that the first Adam that we meet in Genesis uh, was brought to life And then in his sin, he died, and unfortunately, we died along with him. We were separated from God. We were all cast out of Eden and cast out of God's presence. But in Jesus, the last Adam, we see the beloved son on whom the spirits rests. We see him dying to bring us life. In effect, undoing the brokenness of our sin and restoring that separation from God, or fixing that separation from God. Now, Jesus is the one who gives us a place in God's family alongside him. You know, the first Adam, 
Think about this. The first Adam uh, took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're told. Uh, he decided to be his own God, to decide what was right and wrong for himself. And in doing so, he brought suffering and death. Uh, the last Adam, in contrast, uh, got on a tree. Well, he entered our world, for one thing. But he got on a tree and died for us so that we might experience freedom from suffering and death and have a place in God's family again. The second Adam, the last Adam, undoes what the first Adam did. And where does the spirit rest now? On us. The spirit rests upon us, hovers over us doing a new creation. God, Father, Son, and Spirit are all in on saving us, aren't they? All in on saving us. Let me give you one example of this. Uh, Jesus prayed right before his arrest in John 17, saying, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I believe that the disciples, uh, except Judas, who betrayed Jesus, I believe that the disciples all saw the answer uh, to this prayer of Jesus's. They were with Jesus physically, but after Jesus's resurrection, they all saw his glory for what it was and were with him in a much, much greater way. They all came to see that this man, in this man, God had come for them. The eternal God, the creator God, the beloved son of God had come for them. And in seeing him for who he truly was, they could see the glory that was offered to them. In seeing Jesus, Jesus, you, you are the son of God. You are eternal. You are the beloved son of God. And what are you doing? You are offering us a place in God's family with you. I believe that the Holy Spirit is seeking still to answer Jesus's prayer today. The disciples that were with Jesus that night when he prayed this, they saw the answer. They came to know Jesus for who he is and what God, God the Father, Son and Spirit were doing for them. But I believe the Holy Spirit is still answering this prayer today in us as well. That we would indeed see and know Jesus for who he is. And in doing so, that the Spirit would indeed hover over us, rest upon us, and that we would have a place in God's family. Do we see what God is offering us in Jesus and calling us to now in the Spirit? There are three persons in the one true living God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Now that is a truth, and it could be an incredibly dry truth. It could just be words on a screen, words on a page, something that we've memorized, but really means nothing to us. But when we understand this relationship in the Godhead for what it is, and then for what it is to us, it's not dry. 
How could it be? That God would send his beloved son in whom he is well pleased indeed to come and rescue us. His beloved and perfect son indeed to come and rescue us. That shouldn't be dry, should it? That should be wondrous. And I pray it is. Let's pray together. Uh, Almighty God, truly we cannot contain you. We cannot. And we confess at times we are tempted to try and do just that. And yet the reality is so different that you, the uncontainable God, would indeed step into our world, that Jesus, you would come for us to rescue us, that you would indeed give up all your glory to come down and to rescue us and bring us into God's glory. What a gift this is. And oh, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you indeed hover over us. But whether we are mindful of that, whether we are conscious of that, whether we look to you and live from you is another thing. And in many ways, it's too easy, far too easy to forget you because we can't contain you. And yet you persist with us, working within us, refining us, correcting us, indeed loving us, making us more and more into the children of God we have been saved to be. We pray, use us. We pray, don't let us be dry. Don't let the wonder of what God has done, of what you have done for us, slip to the back of our minds. But do a work within us. Set a fire within us all, I pray. Set a fire within me that, oh, we would behold you and know your glory, a glory that you invite us into, a wondrous glory, a glory of salvation and a glory of love that you would have us for yourself. You would have us as your sons and daughters. We pray this in your name, the name above every name.